Let's pray. God, we thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us through your word. And we pray, God, that by your spirit, you would do that again now. That by your word, through the power of your spirit, that you would make yourself known to us in deeper ways that reassure us. I thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. So this passage is not one of the resurrection accounts from one of the Gospels. And it's Easter Sunday morning, so you might be wondering, why a passage from the book of Revelation on Easter Sunday? The whole book of Revelation is a report of a visionary experience given to the Apostle John. And at that time, many Christians were facing difficult times, oppression at the hands of the Romans. And one of the messages, not all of them certainly, but one of the messages of Revelation is encouragement for Christians facing persecution. Now, we're not facing persecution, but we are facing a difficult time, an unsettling time, an unprecedented time. A virulent virus has caused a global crisis. As I was preparing this message on Thursday at 3 p.m., I checked the total, and there were 93,425 deaths globally. Now, three days later, that number is at 109,700. Just keeps increasing. This is a crisis, a difficult time. I conducted a funeral on Monday, not at all associated with the virus, uh, but that, for me, was a difficult time. A, a graveside service where all 25 participants or so wore masks and distanced themselves from one another by standing in a large semicircle with about a 50-foot radius. I stood at the head of the casket and tried to speak loud enough for people to hear. This is a tough time, a really tough time. And tough times are both disorienting and magnifying. And there's no map for this. Somebody Yank the map away. There's no navigation system, no crisis GPS for something so large. And when the map is gone and the GPS doesn't work, I don't know about you, but I look for familiar landmarks. But the problem with that is none of us have ever come this way before. There, there's nothing familiar about it. It's all new. It's disorienting. It's also magnifying. Tough times magnify whatever's inside of us, emotionally and spiritually. Whatever was inside you prior to this probably got bigger. If you were a little anxious, you're probably a lot anxious. If you were a little neurotic, you're probably even more so now. If you were a little restless, you probably feel it more now. So what do Christians do with tough times? The book of Revelation gives some help for tough times. A Christian conference speaker shared a story about an exercise he used to do when he pastored a local church. In Bible studies or other gatherings he led, he would often conduct a little experiment. He'd say to the group, I'm going to ask you to do something just as an experiment. I want you to close your eyes 
and picture Jesus as you see him. And then hold that image in your mind for 30 seconds. Kind of an interesting experiment, isn't it? Now, I wonder if we might try that. We won't do 30 seconds, but I would like you to pause right now and bring to mind a picture of Jesus as you see him. I mean, think about it now. Bring that image to your mind and hold it there for a moment. What did you see? If you happen to be doing this service with others, why don't you pause the recording for a moment and share what you saw with those around you? What what picture of Jesus came to your mind? After those 30 seconds were up, the speaker would then ask his class, so tell me, how did you see Jesus? And the class would report out, kind of popcorn style. I I saw him feeding the 5,000. I imagined him walking on the sea in the storm. I saw little children gathered around Jesus. I saw Jesus on the cross. And people would keep sharing until everyone had had their turn. He ran this experiment multiple times and noticed something. He found that every person he invited to bring to mind an image of Jesus brought to mind an image of Jesus in his pre-resurrection state. Nobody ever said, I saw Jesus at the right hand of God the Father Almighty reigning over the entire universe and ruling the kingdom of God right now with goodness and justice and grace. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, this guy was just making the point that maybe we ought to think about that. Why is it that when we bring to mind images of Jesus, we tend to bring to mind images of how Jesus was rather than how he is now? Maybe we ought to think about that. Maybe we need to revise our image. The Apostle John did. I I guess he didn't really revise his image of Jesus, but had it revised through a revelation. On earth, John was one of Jesus' closest friends. To Jesus, John was the disciple whom he loved. Jesus poured his life into John, even to the point where as Jesus hung on the cross about to die, he looked at John and said, take care of my mom. And the Bible tells us that after that, Mary moved into John's home and lived with his family. If anyone on earth had an accurate image of Jesus, it was John. There was no one closer. He knew what Jesus looked like. He knew all of Jesus' mannerisms and idiosyncrasies. He knew the voice of Jesus well. He had listened for hours and questioned and engaged Jesus in conversation. And yet John explains his experience of this revelation he received. He wrote this, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, 
and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. He didn't say he heard a voice that he recognized. He said he heard a voice like a trumpet. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This vision of Jesus floored John. Literally, it laid him out on the floor at Jesus' feet as though dead. What was it about seeing Jesus that was so different? So jarring or terrifying or awesome or paralyzing that John's only suitable response was to fall flat on his face at Jesus' feet. What was different? Well, what was different was this was a vision of Jesus not as he was, but as he is right now. The living, reigning, ruling, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present king of the universe in the fullness of his glory and goodness and beauty and power. And John realized in an instant that his image of Jesus was way, way too small. I mean, before all else, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus as he is now. It helps us see Jesus as he really is. And there's nothing more comforting in tough times. Not just because we see Jesus as the reigning king he is, powerful and in control, but because we see that he's still the same person. Humble, kind, caring with a servant's heart. I mean, look, what was the first thing Jesus did after John fell at his feet as though dead? In, in John's description, the next thing, the first thing Jesus did was this. Then he, Jesus, placed his hand on me. That's verse 17 from our passage today. But think about it. That could not have been the first thing Jesus did. Jesus was standing and John fell at his feet. For Jesus to put his hand on John, the first thing Jesus had to do was stoop down to where John was on the ground. I mean, even in his post-resurrection ascended glorified state as current king of the universe, Jesus still meets us where we are, stoops down to our level. Why? To reassure us. That's what he did for John. Jesus stooped down. That was the first thing he did. He put his hand on John, the power of caring touch and reassurance. And then he said to John, do not be afraid. I mean, throughout the scripture, this is a consistent message to us humans when we encounter God in a way that we cannot deny. When angels show up, they lead with, do not be afraid. Why? Because we're freaking out. After his resurrection, Jesus had to lead with the same line. Do not be afraid. And here, 
when Jesus allowed John to see him as he is right now, Jesus had to use the same starting point. Do not be afraid. It brings back the memory of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. But Jesus did not leave it there with John, and he doesn't leave it there with us either. He doesn't just tell us not to be afraid. He tells us why we should not fear. Why we should not fear. Verses 17 and 18 again. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Why should we be unafraid? Jesus gives us the three basic reasons. First, says Jesus, I am the first and the last. Every Jewish person would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying. It was a reference to multiple passages in the Old Testament. Passages like Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6, which says this, This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms, I am God. When in stark terror we're laid out flat on our face as though dead, Jesus says to us, don't be afraid. I'm God. He did not say, don't be afraid. I'm a comforting religious idea to which you can turn when your thoughts feel down. He said, I am God. Do not be afraid. I am God. Next, Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. Think about that line for a moment, would you? It's the gospel the whole gospel in a single line. It's the culmination of covenantal theology in a single I am statement. I am the living one. I was dead. Remember what I had to die to accomplish? And it brings back the whole arc of biblical theology from Abram and and, and his vision of God, the smoking fire pot and burning torch passing between the animals cut in half, the making of the blood covenant, and uh, God saying, let it be to me as it is to these animals if I don't fulfill my end of this deal. From then all the way up to the point where Jesus gave his life on the cross, sacrificing himself for our sin, keeping both ends of our covenant with God, his end as God and our end on our behalf in the person of Christ. It's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper every time we have communion. It's the gospel in a line. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive 
forever and ever. I mean, we live in a world where a resurrection has happened. And that means that Jesus is alive right now. No qualifiers. He's not kind of alive. This isn't a metaphor. He's not just alive in the memory of his followers or in the hearts of his religious adherents. He's alive right now, bodily alive from the dead, now and forever. Do not be afraid, says Jesus. I am God, and I died for you, and am alive again, forever. And finally, Jesus says, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Keys are a symbol of power and authority, and when applied to that most hideous foe, death, keys symbolize ultimate authority and power. I mean, Jesus says, I've got the keys. I'm driving. Do not be afraid. I am God. I died for you and now am alive forever. And I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Those are three pretty good reasons to be unafraid. As writes the Apostle Paul, if God is for us, Who can be against us? I wonder. Are you envisioning Jesus as he is now? Are you allowing his words to pour over you daily? Do not be afraid. I am God. I died for you and am alive again. And I've got this. Jesus is no longer confronting temptation in the wilderness. Jesus is no longer teaching in synagogues and dealing uh, with hard-hearted religious leaders. Jesus is no longer feeding the 5,000. Jesus is no longer struggling with the final sacrifice for sin he offered on the cross. As important as all those images of Jesus are, They are not images of what Jesus is doing now. So what do Christians do in tough times? We don't live in the past. We live in the now. The spiritual now. Where Jesus is God. Where Jesus is alive from the dead after dying for us. Where Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. We don't envision Jesus as he was. We envision Jesus as he is. Right now, the living, reigning, ruling, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present king of the universe who still stoops down to our level to reassure us that he's got this. In the sure and certain hope of the resurrection... Happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the gospel and its power. Thank you that when we feel shaky, we know that you are strong. Thank you that you've got the keys, that you're driving, 
and that you're taking us somewhere good. We trust you, Lord. And we confess with the Apostle Peter that we really don't know who else to whom to turn than you. You are in control. You're good. You love us. And you are alive from the dead right now forever and ever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Pour out your spirit on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.